Um, today, I don't remember exactly how many, but if you want to have some fun, count the number of stories that I tell today, all right? See how many that there actually are. I'm going to tell you a whole bunch. Some of them are going to be very short, some of them a little bit longer. See how many stories I tell today. We're in a message series now. It's called When Pigs Fly, um, and we're looking at a God who does miracles. And many people's response to miracles is, yeah, when pigs fly. Um, last episode, we talked about God's power over the forces of darkness. We looked at miracles of deliverance. Next episode, we're going to talk about a God who has the power to protect. Episode number four, final episode will be uh, us looking at a God who miraculously provides for His people, another story that comes very much from the DNA of Into One. Today, though, we're going to talk about a God who does miracles of healing. Question, and this question is for those of you who are at church on Main Street and specifically out there, church online. How many of you believe that our God has the power to touch a sick body and to make it well? Anyone? I absolutely, completely believe that He does. If you just look all throughout Scripture, the Old Testament, miracle after miracle after miracle of healing, in the New Testament, there's at least 30 different miracles where Jesus healed people of sickness in their body, and it's implied that there are hundreds and hundreds more miracles of healing. Jesus opened up blind eyes. He made the lame to walk, and He raised the dead. Incredible sometimes hard to believe. But if you look at the book of Acts, there was a time when the Apostle Paul was preaching. It's kind of a funny story to me. Maybe it shouldn't be funny. Maybe it's more of a warning to me. Uh, Paul was preaching, and he preached so long that Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he said he went on and on and on into the night. Have any of you ever been bored in the middle of a sermon? I mean, obviously, at another church, obviously not here, right? I mean, that wouldn't happen. No, no, no. Yeah, it's happened. I am sure that I have helped people catch up on some much-needed rest. And you know what? I'm happy to help. If that's you today, little turkey coma, go ahead. I'm fine with it. Well, the, this internationally famous, highly influential Apostle Paul went on and on and on, so long that this guy named Eutychus a kid who was sitting in a window. So special note, parents, watch your kids at church, okay? Especially if you're up there in the balcony, watch your kids. Eutychus falls asleep in the middle of the sermon, and he was sitting in a window, so he fell out of the window, down to the ground below, and he died. I know that I have put people to sleep with my sermons, but to the best of my knowledge, I have never killed anyone with one of my sermons. This poor boy falls out of the window and he dies. And thankfully, Paul goes down there and he prays for the boy, lays hands on the boy, raises him from the dead. So now if I'm Paul, I've got some mixed feelings. My sermon killed him, but I also was involved with healing him. So mixed feelings. The most controversial of all the miracles in the New Testament, though, was when Jesus healed Peter's 
mother-in-law, which many scholars believe is precisely why Peter later denied Jesus three times. I, I'm just messing with you. That's a dangerous joke. It's Thanksgiving today. Luckily, it's not Mother's Day today, so we can have some more fun with that. I believe in a God that has the power to heal. I believe that. John 14, 12, Jesus speaking, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. So what did Jesus do? What are the works that Jesus was at? Well, we have already said that he's healing the sick. And I believe the same power that healed the sick when Jesus walked the earth heals the sick today. And God does it through the faithful prayers of his people. We serve a God to whom all things are possible, a God who can do exceedingly, abundantly, more than all you can ask, think, or imagine, according to his power that is at work within the church. We believe in a God who does miracles. We have a history of seeing Jesus establish this church into one, establishing this church through the miraculous. We have seen miracles of healing. They happened in our midst. We didn't read about them. We were there. In our first two years of existence, we had four, count them, four different cases of cancer within the group that was just learning to be into one, maybe before we were even called into one. Four cases. Each one hit with a disorienting punch because there's just a couple of us. And each time we prayed and we prayed and nothing happened quickly. But in each case, the cancer was either sent into full remission or stopped in its tracks. They were all separated out from each other and, and you really could only see what happened when you look back on what happened. We didn't understand it in the moment like we can, like we can as we look back at our own history those are not the only stories of what God did in healing in our midst, but they group together so well. We have seen it. We have been in the midst of it. We have been impacted by it. We have been established by it. We have seen the miraculous hand of God at work in us, for us, through us. Seeing God work in miracles is part of the DNA and the raison d'etre of into one. But how many of you have ever prayed that God would do a miracle and heal someone, and He didn't do it? That's me too. I believe in a God who can heal, and sometimes I'm a little bit confused. Sometimes I have to hold difficult things together at the same time. Sometimes we hold things together and intention. How come? Why did it work this way? Why a yes here but a no there? What, why did you help my son feel better when he wiped out on his bike but did not heal that 17-year-old who died of brain cancer? Why? And sometimes when you believe God can and he doesn't, it can unsettle you can shake you, can anger you, can awaken doubt in you, and it can rock you. Where is God? Why, God? God, I know you could, but why does my daughter still have migraine headaches? I believe you could, but why does my son still face depression all the time? 
God, we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed, but why? How come? Why did Grandpa die of cancer? I knew you could. And a lot of people would conclude, well, evidently, either God is not real or He's not good or He doesn't care. How do we reconcile? What do we do? How do we go before God and how do we pray that if we believe that He can and we know that He has, but He doesn't always do what we know He could do and we think that He should do? That's what I want to talk about today in a way that might answer a few questions and at the same time focus on building your faith in a God who hears our prayers and does miracles. So it may be obvious to you in your real life, but it may not be obvious to you just how true this thought is true in Scripture also. So key thought for today is we need to understand and embrace the truth that our God heals, but He doesn't heal everyone all the time. Our God is a God who heals, but He doesn't heal everyone all of the time. And you know that to be true because most of you have prayed for it to happen and it didn't happen. But a lot of people don't recognize or realize that this is incredibly true for people in Scripture, those who faithfully serve Jesus. And I'll give you just a, three quick examples, stories. There's a guy named Trophimus, okay? All right, Trophimus is one of the Apostle Paul's friends who accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey, traveling around to churches. But whatever Trophimus got sick, God apparently didn't heal him. And he's standing right beside the Apostle Paul, the guy that we sometimes think of a Bible superhero. We tend to forget that, you know, Paul's human too. But th th this Paul guy, I mean, he's got incredible credentials. He's the guy who raised somebody from the dead. Remember that? I mean, we just talked about that as a story a little earlier. Raising a kid from the dead, but nothing for Trophimus. And we read it in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 20. Erastus said in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. God not only didn't heal him, but Paul left him behind. I just kind of left him there and we went on about our business. But God could have, and God didn't. Same with Timothy. Timothy, Paul's protege, apparently had some stomach issues ongoing. And Paul told his young protege, Timothy, 1 Timothy 5, 23, stop drinking only water. Use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses to make it one of the most quoted verses in the Bible now. <laughs> in other words, God could have healed him. God didn't. So he says, you, you use what you can to make it better. God could have, but didn't. And then, of course, there's the Apostle Paul himself. And if you know anything about his story, you know that he has something that he called a thorn in his side or a thorn in his flesh. And we don't know for sure what it was, except that it probably was not a thorn in his side. Scholars have guessed that it might have been bad eyesight. It could have been temptation that he struggled with, maybe even public speaking, stuttering, all kinds of different things. We don't know for sure what it was, but we do know that Paul pleaded three different times. And, and, and he didn't 
his pleading wasn't just like a, like a 15-minute prayer session. The word in the original language means like an ongoing, persistent pursuit. Three seasons, three ongoing, passionate, desperate seasons of pleading with God to take this away. I know you can. I've seen you do bigger things than this. Please, God. <coughs> and God says, no. I could do it but I'm not going to do it. In this case, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you that my grace is going to be enough for you. Our God can. He often does. But when He doesn't, how do we deal with that? Tragically, if I can just take a moment and get all up here in the, uh, the church's business for just a little bit, sometimes well-meaning Christians, you all know what I mean when I say well-meaning, well-meaning Christians can say really hurtful things. Well-meaning Christians, is there an amen out there? Have you met a well-meaning Christian? Hurtful things. Like, you know your, your daughter is sick, and the reason is because there's sin in your life. If you didn't have sin in your life, that wouldn't be going on. Or, you know you're just not praying right. You're doing something wrong. It's on you. classic. Come on, it just takes faith. I mean, where's your faith? And on and on and on, a well-meaning Christian can often heap guilt and condemnation on someone else when God isn't doing what we know He could do and think He should do. And so people will be so internally hurt, they'll literally walk away from God or at least walk away from the fellowship of other believers. Don't be that kind of a well-meaning Christian, please. What do we do with a God? What do we do when we know He can and He doesn't do it? And at the same time, how do we let our faith grow to continue to ask Him for miracles of healing? So I want to build a little bit of a foundation that you can come back to later on. Here's three reasons why Jesus didn't do miracles. He often did but sometimes he didn't. Why did Jesus not do miracles? Number one reason. First one, Jesus refused to perform miracles to prove himself. I don't know if you've ever done this, and by that I'm saying I've done this plenty. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I did this all the time when I was a kid. Just do this one thing, God. I got one thing. Just do this one thing, and if you do this one thing, then I'll know you're real. I'll trust you, and I'll serve you forever. Ever prayed that prayer? God doesn't play like that. I mean, I wish I did. Sometimes it would be so much easier, but He doesn't. He's God, and for some reason, He does what He thinks is best. And He refuses to perform miracles to prove Himself. Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Here's a story. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, and as they're questioning Him, they had a motive in their heart behind this. They were trying to test Him. So to test Him, and they asked Him to to, for a sign from heaven. Do something. All right, we're waiting here. You prove to me that you are really the Son of God. And Jesus sighs deeply, and you go, you guys are making me crazy. I'm not doing tricks for you. Verse 12, he sighed deeply, and he said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. I'm not doing miracles to prove myself. I do miracles that are in line with the heart of God. I reveal signs that point toward God. 
Number one reason, he didn't do it to prove himself. Number two, second thing, Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan, okay? So important. We see in a moment, but Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. I'll show you an example, a story, if you will, where Jesus chooses to do a miracle in one moment, and then a moment later, He withholds the miracle when it was within His power to do it. Very familiar story. Judas, boo, Judas, uh, betrays Jesus with a kiss on the cheek. And he does the kiss on the cheek so it's a nice visual so that the guards that he came with will know who is the one that they're supposed to come and arrest. And so they come and they, they arrest Jesus, and they're going to take him to the cross. Peter, we all kind of enjoy watching his passion. Peter gets ticked off. And, and Peter might very well be a good old boy, a good old boy. And he said, uh-uh. You're not doing that to my Jesus, not today, no way, no how. And so he pulls out a sword and he goes for the Roman guard's head. I'm not sure about that part. That's the way I think it happened. But he goes for the head and he misses the head and he gets the ear. Passionate intentions, bad aim. Cuts the ear off. So imagine a little bit more. You read it and you just, just zoom on by. You don't think about it. Imagine, there's this guy right in front of you, blood's coming out of his ear. There's pandemonium all of a sudden. His ear flies off, and you can just kind of see Jesus' disappointment. He's like, Peter, 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 I got this under control, okay? And this is not what I wanted from you or for you. And then Jesus kind of looks around a little bit. He goes, where's the ear? Somebody, somebody find the ear. And imagine, so this ear flies off, hits the shoulder, bounces, it rolls. Where's the ear? Did it go into the bushes? It's, guys, look around. Did you see the ear? Find the guy's ear. Bring me the ear. Here, give it to me. So he gets the ear. And then Jesus takes it, and he does a miracle. He takes the ear that's been cut off, and he puts it on Malchus's head, and he heals the ear. He does a miracle. Everyone can see it. They're all right there. And then he has a teaching moment. <coughs> Peter says, I'm not going to let this happen to you. And then Jesus doesn't do a miracle, and he says, I could have. Matthew 26, 53. Don't you realize that I could ask my Father for thousands of angels to protect us, and he would send them instantly? Boom! God sends them. Angels there. Problem solved. No worries. 54. (coughs) But if I did... How would the Scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? In one moment, a miracle. He does a miracle. And and, and then in the next moment, when it would interfere with God's ultimate plan, He withholds the miracle. Even when the disciples around Him don't fully understand. I don't get it. Why would you do that? Jesus didn't do miracles when he was asked to prove himself, and he didn't do miracles when he was put into a position where it would have a temporary earthly benefit at the cost of an eternal godly benefit. When it interferes with God's plan, Jesus did not do a miracle. Number three, third kind. Jesus didn't do miracles where there was no faith. No faith. So he goes to his own hometown, comes back for a visit, and people were not impressed with Jesus. They go, we grew up with that guy. Yeah, I know Jesus. 
Jesus is Joseph's son, right? Carpenter guy. Yeah, Jesus used to work there. I think he's that annoying kid that we used to go to school with. Always got the answers right. Teacher's pet, right? Never talk too much in class. Like, I'm always getting told I talk too much in class. That's just Jesus, son of Joseph. Matthew 13, 58, and, and he did not do miracles there. Why? Because of their lack of faith. You've got to understand that our faith moves the heart of God. Our faith matters to God. And when you pray in faith, it touches the heart of God. So I'm going to give you a couple of examples that you might call stories. There was a woman who couldn't stop bleeding for 12 years. She's embarrassed. She's in pain, and she's ceremonially unclean. So she's cut off from relationship with her neighbors, with other people around her, but she's also cut off from relationship with God at the temple or the synagogue. Jesus walks by. By faith, she reaches out and thinks, if I could just touch the edge of his cloak, just touch the end of his garment, I'll be healed. She does. He feels power leave. He looks back and says, what was that? And Jesus looked at her and he said, Mark 5, verse 34, daughter. Try it. You say this with me. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Another day, a man with leprosy comes up, falls at the feet of Jesus, starts worshiping him. Jesus looks at the man and says, Luke chapter 17, verse 19, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. A blind man screams out, I can't see you, but I can hear you. I know you're there. Have mercy on me. And Jesus says, Mark chapter 10, verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Our faith moves the heart of God. What's so interesting to me, it's fascinating, I'm not sure if you know this, but according to Scripture, there's only one thing that we have that ever amazes Jesus. You look through all the Gospels, go through them and time and time again, Jesus was amazed by one thing. Do you know what amazes Jesus? Our faith. Our faith amazes Jesus. You think it's hard? Of course it's hard. Jesus understands that too. He knows that it's hard for you to take next steps. He knows that it's hard for you to hold on to faith when things are going badly all around you. He knows that. Sometimes he's amazed like, wow, that was amazing. Other times he's amazed like, huh? That's all? You don't believe I can do anything? Two different times, two different extremes. A Roman centurion, that's a story, has a servant that's sick and says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. You just say the word. You don't even have to see my servant. You don't even have to touch my servant. You don't even have to walk in that direction. I just believe you say the word and he'll be healed. Jesus says the word. He's healed. And Scripture says, Jesus was amazed and said, I've never seen faith like this before. Go back to Jesus' hometown. 
where he says that he was a prophet without honor. He looks on and he says, I'm amazed that you don't believe that I can do anything. I'm amazed, he said, at your lack of faith. So I'm curious. When it comes to your faith, if Jesus were amazed, would it be, wow, amazed? Or would it be like, wow, oof. Even if you just look at the prayers you prayed this week, what'd you ask for? Was it big? God intervening, wah! Or was it like, eh, God bless my food, God keep us safe today? Wow. Is that, is that all you got the faith for? Something that amazed Jesus is powerful, strong faith. Wow, he's amazed. Or it's almost like heartbreaking, insulting faith. You go, really? That's all you believe? I don't know what accent he has there, but. What do we do if we find our faith a little bit, a little bit on the lower end? What, what, what if we're more like the wow faith rather than the wow faith? The good news is that faith moves God, and Jesus is so encouraging when He said this. He said, if there's a mountain in your life, in other words, there's something that needs to be moved, it's so big that physically it's impossible, could not be done, and you simply have the faith the size of a mustard seed, tiny little, tiny little mustard seed. And if you just have faith in my direction, that moves my heart. In other words, your faith may sometimes be really strong. There may be other times when your faith is kind of strong. And then there may be other times when you're struggling and God loves you enough to work with the faith that you have. I love the story of a dad who's in agony because his son is hurting. So to the moms that are here today, no more trash talk. You know, I know you can take a lot of pain. You know about that. But when someone comes after a kid, there's nothing that hurts like that. Any parent, you know this feeling. His son is in agony. He's been thrown into the fire, thrown into the water by demons and such. And the dad's desperate. He wants to believe that Jesus can help, but he doesn't want to get, to get his hopes up so high. So he's just like, Jesus, I mean, if you can do anything, please do. If you care, if you can, if you can do anything, please, please do. And Jesus is kind of like, anything is possible for those who believe. And the Father said something, ah, honestly, so captures where I live so much of the time. If you can do anything, Jesus says, I can do anything. Mark 9, 24. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's like a quote from me, I think. I do believe, but I'm still human. I've seen you do it with other people. I'm kind of reading into this thought. I've seen you do it before, and I think, I think you can do it for my son, but I'm just not sure. If I get my hopes up, but, but, but then you don't, it's going to be really, really difficult. So I do know you can, but I'm still, I'm just not sure. In this particular case right now, I do believe. 
help my unbelief. And Jesus looks on with a loving understanding of this imperfect faith. Faith that's, I'm doing the best I can. Help me in this. And I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real with you. And hopefully you don't lose respect for me in some sort of way. But maybe this will help somebody feel better. Sometimes I need God to help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but it's just not perfect right now. So I say, God, give us faith. God, help us honor you. God, would you be wowed by our faith? So we get together, we say, let's quote some Scripture. Let's pray together. Let's walk in boldly and humbly at the same time. Let's do what Scripture says. Let's anoint with oil. Let's pray the prayer of faith. Let's believe that God could And let's ask Him to do it. Let's agree on these things. We say, oh God, I believe. Oh God, we believe. We believe that you can. We believe that you have done it before. We believe that you could do it again. We believe. Please, God, help our unbelief. And some moments we feel more. In other moments, it's more like, help me. I don't feel that much right now. But whatever I have, God, as imperfect as it is, I'm bringing it to you. I believe, God, that you hear our prayers. I believe, God, that you still do miracles. So, Pastor Graham, you're a pastor at a church. This church, in fact. You pray for someone, but that person wasn't healed. Does that shake your faith? Does it rattle you? I'd say not so much anymore. After walking with God as long as I have and praying for as many people as I've prayed for, it doesn't rattle me. And let me share why with you. It's not that I just don't care. I want you to get this this pro tip, okay? I want you to grasp an even bigger truth. We live by truth and we live by faith. But here's the thing that I would love for you to carry forward from this moment onward. If you remember nothing else from today, remember this. This might, this might even throw you for a moment or two. You might need to spend some time wrestling with this for a bit. This might change the way that you have been living and the way that you have been believing and the way that you have been expecting. Here it is. Our faith isn't based on what God does. Do you hear what I'm saying? Our faith is not based on what God does. This is a hard one to grab onto because this is what people want from us so frequently. They demand of God. They demand from God. You're not a real God if you don't do this. You're not a good God if you don't do what I think that you should do in that circumstance. You're too weak of a God if you don't do it right this second. But let me change your perspective, hopefully massively. Let me guide you into what may be new understanding. Maybe you believe this all along. Maybe this will open up a doorway into some new freedom for you. This shapes the way that we go forward. From now on, our faith is not based on what God does Our faith is based on who God is. Our faith isn't based on what God does in the immediate moment to a specific request at any given time. 
Because oftentimes he will do exactly what we've been asking him to do. And it kind of shows up and it shows off. And other times, in ways that I may not understand, he's like, I'm not going to perform for you right now. Or it may be, you know what? That would be kind of easy for you, but I actually have something eternal that's higher than your thoughts and different than your ability to understand. And even though it may hurt you now, even though it may grieve you now, even though it may make you question the goodness of God, we still trust the goodness of God because our faith isn't based on what He does in a moment. Our faith is based on what He did for us on the cross. It doesn't get any better than that. A God who becomes one of us God the Father sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus shed His blood that our sins would be forgiven. Our faith isn't based on seeing the results to a miracle. Our faith is based on the character and the goodness of a God who sacrificed, who gave His own life for us. Quite honestly, this is going to mess with some people's theology, and I know it. Some people are going to disagree, but... But I've lived in this, and I'm passionate about this. We need to understand that when God sent Jesus, His highest purpose for Jesus' coming was not to give us what we want, not even to just heal our bodies, but to save our souls, to redeem our lives, to transform us. The highest purpose. I'm not saying that He doesn't heal our bodies. I fully believe that He does. But His highest purpose I have come that they will have life, and life more abundantly. I have come to seek and save the lost. I didn't come for the righteous, but I came for sinners. I came to give my life as a ransom. His highest purpose isn't to heal our bodies. It's to save us. I'm going to tell you a story from Mark chapter 2. There's four good old boys, all right? And I would love to have friends like these guys. One of them, his name is Bubba. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't actually say that anywhere. But let's just pretend right now that that would be his name, Bubba. Bubba is the leader of the ring, okay? And he's got another friend who's unable to walk. And so Bubba gets his three buddies. Look, we're going to get our buddy to Jesus, and ain't nothing going to stop us now. And so they drag this old boy who can't walk. Who knows how far? Maybe they're carrying him part of the way and he gets heavy and now they've got to drag him. But they take him to this house where they've heard that Jesus is teaching. And there's so many people at Jesus' Bible study that they can't get their friend in. And Jesus is teaching and they kind of got their backs to Jesus. And they're scoping the place out, looking. What can we do? Okay, that's good. We can get him in from there. The roof? Yeah. Ain't no one going to stop us, right? So up on top of the roof they go. We'll find a way, boys. And they drag their friend up on top of the roof. And then Bubba says, I got to dig a hole. And the other guys are going, you can't dig a hole in a roof. This is not our roof. We don't own this. Okay, you know what? We'll figure it out later. We'll fix it later. For right now, get to it. Start digging a hole. And so these guys start digging a hole in the thatched roof. Now there's light shining into the room where Jesus is teaching. And they say, okay, you grab one arm, I'll grab the other arm, and you grab the leg. And somehow they take their buddy and they hold him out as far as they can. Somehow they lower him down. This guy just now, uh, 
appears from the roof in the middle of the teaching space. The first thing Jesus does, first thing He does is forgives His sins. First thing Jesus, read it for yourself. It's in Mark chapter, this afternoon. I don't have the verse here for you. This afternoon, Mark chapter 2, and I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure it's verse 5. First thing Jesus does is he forgives his sins before he heals his body. He healed his body, but first he forgave his sins. Because when Jesus came, his highest calling wasn't to heal our bodies. It was to save us from our sins. That message didn't get initial understanding in ancient Israel either. Soul? No, 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 Jesus Bread. Give me bread. No, 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 Jesus. Get rid of the Romans. They didn't understand Jesus' focus either. So here's a little spoiler alert. You ready for this? It's not necessarily good news. If God heals you of cancer, guess what? I hate to break it to you. You are still going to die. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Next time Lazarus died, he was on his own, right? You're still going to die because his highest purpose isn't what happens to your body for 80 or 90 years on earth. Your highest purpose is that your life would glorify him. So when you pray, pray with every bit of faith that you have. Sometimes it's great faith. Sometimes it's a mustard seed. But God, I'm bringing my imperfect faith before you. I learned a really valuable phrase from the boys in the fire before that they went into the fire. When being into the fire was an imminent threat, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego looked at the king who was outraged, and they said, if you throw us into that fiery furnace like you said you're going to throw us, my God is going to save me. I believe that my God can, and I believe that my God will save me. But even if he doesn't. I will not bow down and worship you, Mr. King. My God can, my God will, but even if he doesn't, I will serve you only, God. I will keep trusting you. I believe God can and I believe God will. And even if he doesn't do what I think he should, I still believe because my faith isn't based on what he does or doesn't do. My faith is based on who he is is. Pray with me with every bit of faith that you've got in you. Pray with me, agree with me, and let's pray for something big enough to wow Jesus. Let's believe together. Kind Father, we come before you today with respect, filled with thanksgiving. We are here to demand nothing of you but that your will would be done in our lives. To that end, Father, there are some of us who are in need of healing. There are some of us who need jobs. There are some of us who need finances. We are looking to you today 
not to just give us what we want, but that your will would be made perfect in our lives. And to make that happen, you would do things that we would otherwise say are impossible. For my friends that are sick, God, you have promised wholeness. We pray today, right now, that you would bring about wholeness in whatever way you see as best. We're going to trust you for how these things work out, but we're going to ask because you said we were allowed to. You, you, you said that we can come to you and we can crawl up on your lap. Abba, Father, for those with blood disorders... We ask for healing. For those who have recently perhaps had a stroke, we ask for healing. For those of us who are dealing with cancer, we ask for remission. We ask for healing. For those of us who have had long-standing, life-long struggle with health, we ask for release. We ask for freedom. In your name, Jesus. For those of us who have been carrying a burden mentally that becomes a burden physically, for those at the different levels and stages of mental illness, for anxiety, for deep worry, we pray for release. We pray for light in that dark room. For those of us who are struggling with eating disorders. God, we place our faith and our trust in You. We put our eyes on You that we would see ourselves as You see us. And we would be released from that need, that compulsion to either eat too much or eat too little. God, give us balance. We come before you, God, believing that you can. We come before you believing that you will. God, help my, God, help our unbelief. But even if you don't, do these things that we are asking. We are committing again to put our trust, to put our full weight on you that you will, if not the healing, then the grace 
to be in this situation as you gave to Paul, the grace to be where he was. We're going to continue to trust you, not because of what you do or because of what you don't do, but because of who you are and who you've shown yourself to be throughout history. God, we're going to place our faith in you, and at the same time we're saying, God, heal. Bring wholeness that this might be a sign that points us, points each other, and points those outside of our fellowship towards you. Not for us alone, but that you would be glorified in this, and we will take these as signs that point directly to God, and we will together lift up your name, and we will praise you, we will thank you for what you have done. And on this Thanksgiving Sunday, God, we have so much already to be thankful for, but we're, we're given boldness to ask once again for that which we don't have. Holy Spirit, move in minds and bodies today, whether they are in this building or watching at church online. Move, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Bring forth healing to the glory of God the Father. Amen.